Ron was very busy procrastinating when his sister and Remus entered the kitchen at lunchtime. He was now fully awake and dressed and had spent the late morning looking at his snapshot of Leo, thinking about Percy, and deciding that the Weasleys were universally good-looking. After that, he decided to clean his room and cook a stew rather than look for a flat as he decided to do earlier. More than anything else, however, he was avoiding thoughts of his upcoming trial. He'd acted a lot braver than he really felt when Hermione had still been in the room, but now she was gone to some rock in the middle of the sea, and he was feeling nauseated at the idea of defending himself in court. Here, he said, distracting himself by doling out servings of stew for Remus and Jenny. Remus thanked Ron, and then excused himself to go eat in the staff room so that the students could say all sorts of nasty things about the teacher behind his back. He took his stew upstairs. Jenny, however, refused lunch. She sat down at the dining table with an enormous book, which she proceeded to open and read as if her life depended on it. Here, Ron tried again, offering Jenny's untouched bowl to Harry, who had wandered into the kitchen. Thanks, said Harry, and settled in the chair beside Jenny's. What class is this for? he asked her quietly, tapping the page with his finger. A new one, Jenny answered curtly, but Ron noticed that she took Harry's fingers and moved them off of the book with one hand in order to turn the page with the other, and that afterward Harry didn't bother to move his hand out of hers. Their fingers remained touching, and Ron stared for just a second before getting a grip on himself. It was weird, seeing the two of them so comfortable, but it was all right. He'd get used to it, eventually. Another one done, came a victorious shout from the hallway. Thomas Ixion guilty. His wife, Celeste, innocent of the unforgivables, but she's going to be fined heavily, and they've placed her accounts under observation until further notice. Sirius strode into the kitchen, his eyes unnaturally bright, his face looking very thin. Ron hadn't noticed it before, but the lines around his eyes were growing deeper, and he looked sallow and unhealthy. He also looked exhausted. I'm hungry, Sirius said, sniffing the air. What is that? stew. Ron handed him a bowl, which he took with barely a mutter of thanks before he dug in. You usually don't get home for lunch, Harry said, turning in his chair. Forgot my money pouch, Sirius mumbled through a mouthful of stew. Would have stayed, but I was getting light-headed. Hell of a trial. Outrageous. At the mention of trial, Ron felt his stomach turn. He'd been hungry just a moment ago, but now he felt he might be sick if he tried to eat. He put the lid on the stew pot and sat down with the rest of them. Oh, yeah? he said, trying to sound nonchalant. Why? What was it like? Ixion didn't have a chance. Evidence was stacked against him. Real evidence, too. None of this, oh, I was working under the imperious loophole crap. No, this waste of life had tried to set a family's house on fire. Muggle parents, wizard children. And he tried to start the fire in the muggle way figured he could never get indicted for it if it didn't involve magic. He filled two milk cartons with papers and kerosene. Must have thought it would be the perfect fire starter. And it might have been. Trouble was, the muggles had rigged some sort of system in case of an emergency. A fire alarm, Harry put in. Right. So they got down there, put the fire out. The kids were smart enough to be suspicious that it was Death Eater activity, and they turned in the milk cartons as evidence. Sirius grinned. They were full of papers, like I said, 
along with gasoline-soaked photographs. You'll never believe who the photos were of. Ron shook his head. You can't mean they were of himself, he said. Thomas Ixion III in full and moving color. A lovely one of him and his wife. Several of him getting different sorts of awards. One of him in trunks. But that's... That's just ludicrous. So setting someone's house on fire, Jenny said sagely, not looking up from her book. True. Sirius finished his stew with a decided slurp and stood. Leaving? Harry asked quickly, and Ron glanced at him. He hadn't thought about it much, but the whole point of moving in with Sirius for the summer was so Harry could spend a bit of time with his godfather. That hadn't really happened, what with all the trials. It was sad, really. Have to, Sirius said. Another one this afternoon, and it's got the better of me, I'm telling you. I know the woman's guilty. I know it. But I can't prove it. I swear, I'd use illegal means to prove it if I didn't know what it was like to be in her shoes. Just in case. I keep telling myself. Just in case. I have to be fair. He sounded almost manic. If I were anybody else, I'd have had her stunned and thrown straight back into culprit, he muttered. The council are ready to throw her back in, and they all think I'm crazy. He rubbed his temples. Can't trust anybody else to do this. And then I've got that money-grubbing Malfoy advocate shooting me looks when he passes me in the street. What? They're getting ready to prosecute me? Ron demanded. You've talked to their advocate? No, I've just seen him. But I know his type. Classic Death Eater sycophant. Sirius looked disgusted. You've got nothing to worry about, Ron. Between the witnesses we have and Colin's photographs from the hospital, we've got more on them than they do on you. Ron tried to look convinced. Sure, he said. So I'll just sit tight until next week, then. He knew he sounded terrified, but he couldn't help it. Sirius gave a short laugh. Look, if you're nervous, I'll tell you what. Come up to London with me and sit in on tomorrow's trial. See what a real criminal has to go through. I guarantee... Once you hear the charges against some of these people, you won't have a care in the world. I wouldn't want to interrupt or anything, Ron began, but he had to admit he rather liked the idea. He'd get to see the inside of a courtroom. He'd get to know what trial proceedings were like. He wouldn't be so uninformed when he went up against Malfoy. It wouldn't be an interruption. You'd sit behind counsel and observe. Sirius pulled his wand. Invitations open. I'll be leaving at 7 tomorrow morning, and you can come then if you want. See you all tonight. He disapparated. Well, Harry said after a moment, he was looking, rather tensely, at the place where Sirius had just been. Ginny looked up from her book again. You all right? she asked. Her fingers were still on his, and it looked to Ron like she had tightened them. He hasn't said a word to me about Azkaban. Harry smiled grimly. Not one word. Don't you think that's strange? Ron was about to answer when he realized that Harry wasn't really talking to him. He was talking to Jenny, who was answering quietly, now moving her fingers a bit on Harry's hand. Not wanting to watch them have some sort of talk, Ron escaped the room at top speed, still thinking about London. He had to work late tonight, so getting up at seven in the morning was going to hurt but it would hurt a lot less than getting pounded in court, and anyway, it would be gratifying to see Sirius putting a couple of Death Eaters away for life. 
Ron had a sudden mental image of Sirius, marching up to criminals and frightening all of them into immediate confessions. It would be great to sit back and watch him go. Feeling much better about things, Ron realized that he was suddenly hungry again, but he had no desire to go back into the dining room and find out what Ginny and Harry were doing. Deciding to grab a snack in the village, Ron headed out of the house and down the road. He pulled a wad of paper from his back pocket and unfolded it to read while he walked. Dear Ron, read the familiar tidy cursive, I haven't had to write you a letter in almost two years. It's funny, but although I hate being away from you, I love writing you letters. It's nice to be able to say whatever I like, too, and this is the first time I've ever felt I could. The last time we were apart for a summer, I was just fifteen, and I didn't feel quite comfortable telling you everything. I used to choose every word very, very carefully. Ron grinned, although he'd already read Hermione's letter a hundred times. She was so damn cute. I was so scared that you'd laugh at something I said. Of course, now I realize that no matter how sensible I am, you're going to laugh at whatever I say, so it's no use laboring over every line. I love you. I miss you. I'm glad we were able to spend the night together, because it helps to have that time to think about. All right, I'll be honest. I feel funny writing that, but I don't think it's because I'm embarrassed, really. I think it's more that I'm terrified that Harry or Ginny or Remus or Sirius will walk by and pick this up and see it, so either you keep it very safe or you have to burn it up. Cortona is so beautiful that it doesn't seem real. Neither does Delia. She's the thinker. She's so wise, or so she seems wise. You know the way Dumbledore just made you feel that he knew? Delia has that quality. She had me tell her all about how we built Expecto Sacrificum, and she hasn't kicked me out yet. So I guess, I guess I'm staying. I'll write more about the island and the robes she gave me. They're sleeveless. I like them. Ron had a feeling he would, too. Imagining Hermione in sleeveless robes, he continued reading. But I'm going to write all of the newsy things later on, in a letter for the whole house. This one is just for you, and I'm very tired, and not really in the mood to put down a lot of details like, and then I had tomatoes and olives. I know you'll beat Malfoy. I know that between you and Sirius, there's nothing anyone can do to get at you. And if you need me to come back for any reason, you just tell me, and I'll be there. I love you. Hermione P.S. Please tell Crookshanks that I miss him, too. Ron read the letter over and over until he felt it had burned right into his eyes. He wished he had a quill with him. He wanted to write her back, right now, and tell her that he loved her, too. Tell her that he was an uncle. Jenny had taken an extra one just for her, in which the baby appeared to be sticking out his tongue at the camera. Perfect for Hermione. Ron grinned and shoved her letter back in his pocket, trying to imagine up a good reply. He was so busy imagining his letter, and her expression upon receiving it, that he forgot to look where he was going, and very nearly ran down an elderly wizard. "'Ho oh, there, young man!' creaked Mr. Archibald. He was a slight old man, who cut quite a figure in brown wizard robes and a tweed cap. He tottered from the collision. "'Sorry,' said Ron quickly, reaching out to steady him. "'My fault.' He liked Mr. Archibald. The little gentleman showed up at the Snouts Fair once or twice a week, and always ordered one sipping whiskey. 
which he'd sip for three hours before going home. "'It's all right,' said Mr. Archibald, leaning against Ron with one hand as he straightened as best he could. Then he smiled. "'Perhaps you can help me, Mr. Weasley. I've got to put this sign up, but I've gone and left my wand inside. Got yours?' "'Sure,' answered Ron, pulling his wand out of his pocket. "'Are you starting a business or something?' "'No, no.' Mr. Archibald was now surveying his house with an air of authority, hands on his hips. "'Just trying to rent out my place. My granddaughter's insisting that I go and live with her family in Hogsmeade. Says I can't be trusted to remember my wand any longer.' "'Guess she's right, eh?' He chuckled at himself and nudged Ron's arm with his elbow. "'Yeah, right,' said Ron slowly, looking at Mr. Archibald with a mixture of amazement and disbelief, and then toward his cottage, which was looking a bit run down, but certainly inhabitable. It had a comfortable-looking front porch, and a somewhat overgrown garden. One of the outer walls was as turquoise as his father's old Fort Anglia. The other walls were a dull brown, but the paint was peeling a bit in places, revealing that shocking turquoise had once been the color of the whole house. It was eccentric, but it was nothing that a bit of magic couldn't fix. Say, how much rent are you asking for this place, anyway? Fifty galleons a month is enough to keep me stocked with Ogden's old fire whiskey, peppermint imps, and wizard's digest, I should think. Mr. Archibald answered cheerfully. Why, know anyone who'd be interested? Yeah, Ron answered with a smile. Me. Really? But don't you just live down the street? Ah, a look of comprehension flickered across the old man's face, and he leaned in close to Ron, winked, and whispered, even though the street was deserted, You want a place to entertain the ladies. I remember those days. And Mr. Archibald stared off into the distance, his eyes slightly weepy, as he remembered something that Ron figured he'd probably rather not know more about. Uh, yeah, answered Ron, deciding just to agree with Mr. Archibald for the moment. "'So when will the place be available?' "'Well,' answered Mr. Archibald, scratching his nose and attempting to look authoritative, "'I'd prefer to be in Hogsmeade next week. It's my great-granddaughter's birthday. I've got twelve great-grandchildren, you know.' Mr. Archibald looked at Ron as if daring him to top that one. Ron grinned widely. "'That's wonderful,' he answered, trying to remain calm and nonchalant during this important business transaction." I've just got one nephew. He was born yesterday, as a matter of fact. Then congratulations are in order, cried Mr. Archibald. Yes, yes. Once an uncle, you'll get the itch to have one of your own. I remember it well. Definitely going to need a place to bring the ladies. He looked contentedly from Ron to the little house behind him. It'll be good for this old house to see some young life. So then, it's all right if I rent it? Ron asked, ignoring the comments about fatherhood as best he could. His ears felt remarkably hot. "'Quite all right. No reference necessary. I know you're working steadily at Goldie's. Will there be a... oh, what do you young people call them now? Will you have a flatmate?' "'Just my friend Harry. You know him.' Mr. Archibald started visibly and gave Ron a knowing look, but seemed determined not to make a fuss about fame, though Ron imagined that once in Hogsmeade, he'd be spinning tales to all twelve of his great-grandchildren about how Harry Potter now lived in his old house. "'I'll bring a deposit by this evening on my way to work, then, shall I?' Ron suggested in the most businesslike manner he could muster. 
"'Certainly,' answered Mr. Archibald, with a matching air of formality, reaching out to shake Ron's hand. "'I shall expect you.' "'Great.' Ron shook his hand and had jogged part way back up the road toward Lupin Lodge when he remembered something. "'Mr. Archibald,' he called back, "'does your cottage have a name?' "'The Notch,' Mr. Archibald called back. Ron jogged the rest of the way home, but it wasn't going to be home for long. In a week, home would be the Notch. He grinned to himself. Great name. Weird color, but it had character. And it was barely a quarter of a mile down the same street. Harry could stay near Sirius. He could stay near Hermione. He burst through the door of Remus's house and jogged into the kitchen, forgetting that Harry and Jenny had been in there talking. They were there, still, and the talk looked quite private. But whatever it was, it could wait. Harry, Ron interrupted happily, ignoring Harry's reluctant glance and Ginny's despairing look. Do you want to see our new flat, or what? 